Hey, welcome to the Road Sermon Podcast. You're going to kind of wish you were here to taste this message today. Uh, We're going to take a look into the life of David and explore how he found gratitude in the midst of life's challenges. Focusing on Psalms 34, written during David's toughest time, we'll uncover valuable lessons about gratitude, seasons of life, and finding satisfaction in God's goodness. So grab a seat, a cookie, you'll see why in a soon, pop in your earbuds, and join us on this journey of discovery. Taste and see. Good morning. Good to see everybody. If you're joining us online, thank you for making that choice. Everybody, grab a Bible. There are two places we're going to be in Scripture. One we're just going to look at, and you can kind of follow along. That's 1 Samuel 21. The second one we're going to actually read, and that is Psalm 34. If you're going to turn to one, turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. We usually take the Sunday before Thanksgiving and reflect kind of on our our blessings of life uh, for the simple reason that you and I have a lot to be grateful for. We're going to try that again because we have more than that sounded like, right? We have a lot to be grateful for. There you go. We do. Um, And we're going to to talk about gratitude from the life of David. And David had a lot of times in his life when it would have been easy to be grateful. uh, But he wrote the psalm that we're going to look at at one of the hardest and darkest times of his life. And, and, And it's really interesting what he was grateful for when maybe he didn't have anything to be grateful for. So if you'll take your Bible and read with me in Psalm 34, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll read through verse 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And they looked at him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. And the poor, the poor man cried, and the, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do like and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful to be here. Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, as we look at our lives today, we have a lot for which we should be grateful. Teach us how to do that. Um, Father, sometimes we we get caught and wanting more and more and and, and really not pausing and giving gratitude for all the wonderful things you have put in our lives. So I pray that today would be that moment when we stop for just a second and say thanks. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be ta- start by talking about the cycles and seasons uh, of David's life. There are five places in David's life, geo- geographical locations, that follow a time period that you can trace his life out with. And it starts in Bethlehem. That was the place of his birth. And, and that lasted for about 10 years. Now, these aren't exact times. We don't exactly know exact times. But roughly, that lasted 10 years. And there's not a lot said about David's time at Bethlehem. Uh, it was here that David learned faithfulness in small things. He learned how to work hard, right? He was keeping the sheep. Uh, it, it was here that David was overlooked, When it came time to anoint the future king of Israel. And he was there maybe until his early teens. But for the sake of making this easy to remember, 10 years. 10 years in Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem he went to another place called Gibeah. 
Gibeah. And he was at Gibeah about 10 years. So once David was anointed king of Israel, he moved to Gibeah because of his musical talents. He comforted King Saul because he was gifted with music. And think about this for just a second. All your life, all you've known is out there keeping the sheep. Right? You're out there by yourself. You sleep on the ground at night. You eat meager food, right? Stale bread, maybe a piece of moldy cheese. And then they flip you to the palace. You're sleeping on a mattress. You got a room of your own. You're eating the best food there is. What a change. And for 10 years, David lived with a full cup. But then the next place that the scripture records, again, David's 20 years old. The next location um, that covered another 10 years of David's life was a cave called Adullam. Adullam. Um, the more successful, by the way, David, after he killed Goliath at Gibeah, after he killed Goliath, he never went home again. Uh, before that, he was going back and forth. Um, but David kills Goliath. He becomes very, very noticed uh, in Israel. And, and the ladies sang the song, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Uh, Saul becomes insanely jealous of David until he begins to actually plot the death of David. And David had developed a friendship with Saul's son, a guy named Jonathan. And he goes to Jonathan and says, yeah, me, your daddy's trying to kill me. And Jonathan, like any son, he says, no, my dad would never do something like that. Yeah, he's, he's trying to kill me. I'm telling you, man, he's doing some crazy stuff. And so they develop a test. And Jonathan's going to put his father to the test. And he's going to come out to a field where David will be hiding. And he's going to shoot a bow. And he's going to send a little boy out to retrieve the arrows. And if he says to the boy, go further, go further, go away, he's telling David, you got to leave. He says, come near, come near. These arrows aren't as far. He said, come home. Well, sure enough. Jonathan puts his father to the test. He goes out in the field and he's shooting those arrows and he tells David, you got to run. You got to run for your life. David ultimately finds himself at the cave of Adullam and he spends 10 years of his life there. Then we move to Hebron. Hebron is where David first becomes king. He will spend seven years at Hebron and transition into king of all of Israel from there. So seven years, he is now 37 years old. At the age of 37, he becomes king in Jerusalem over all of Israel. He will reign there for the next 33 years. He will die at 70. So here's what you got, 10, 10, 10, 7, 33. That's David's life. And if you break that down, you got 10 years where he was laying a foundation, 10 years where life was wonderful, 10 years where life was difficult and hard. And then you got 40 years as king. And even those 40 years as king had different seasons in them. But here's what I want you to see. Walking with God through the random seasons of life will change a man. Now, I'm going to let you walk, write that down. I want you to look at me because what I'm going to say now is really, really important. You don't get to choose your seasons. You don't get to choose them. You just get to choose how you walk through them. I need you to hear that. I'm going to say it again. Seasons choose you. Right? Seasons choose you. And everybody in here, you're going to have your life. If you want to break that down, you're going to look at it maybe 25% of your life. It's going to be really difficult. 
really difficult. 15% of your life may be really difficult. You didn't choose those seasons. They chose you. But here's where we miss it. We get to choose how we walk through those seasons. And here's what David did. When he's in Bethlehem, he walked with God. When he's in Gibeah, he walked with God. When he was in uh, Abdullam, he walked with God. When he's in Hebron, he walked with God. And when he was in Jerusalem, he walked with God. Now, did he have moments where he stepped out of that? Sure, he did. But he kept coming back. He kept coming back. He chose to walk with God. Uh, who he chose to walk with today? Because most often what tears us up is the season we're in. You don't get a choice about that. What we choose is how we walk through that season and who we walk through that season with. So Psalm 34 was written during David's time at Adullam, the cave of Adullam, the darkest days of his life. So the story of how David got into that cave is recorded in 1 Samuel 21. So all you, you Bible geeks that want to make sure I'm telling you the truth, go to 1 Samuel 21. The rest of you just relax and enjoy what I'm about to tell you, okay? You got to be David for just a moment. David went out into that field at that meeting with Jonathan with nothing. He didn't have a bag packed. He didn't have a weapon. He didn't have any food. And Jonathan says, you can't ever come home. Run for your life. Where do you go and what do you do when there's nowhere to go? David runs to a little town called Nob and he finds the priest because that's the place he's always found comfort and help with God. But David doesn't look right. And the priest at, at Nob was called Ahimelech. That was his name. And he looks at David. And now, now David is a military commander. He's 20 years old, powerful, but he never goes anywhere alone. He's got a bodyguard with him. He's got an ensemble with him. He's got a military troops with him. And he shows up and he's sweating and he's out of breath. And he looks really scared. And this priest says, hey, dude, what's up? And David lies. No theological dance you can do around that. He straight up lies. No cover up. He lies about his place in life, his motive. He lies about his fears. And here is a lesson for us. Listen carefully. Down times can lead to desperately wrong decisions. This is the first of two in this story. So David tells the priest he is on a mission from the king. Lie. He tells him that he got men waiting for him outside the city. Lie. He tells him, I don't have any food. Truth. And he looks at the priest. He says, you got some food for me and my guys. And the priest said, the only food I got here are, is the showbread, the, the, the bread that has been dedicated to the Lord. It sets out on the altar for seven days. After seven days, the priest can get it and eat it. But it's consecrated bread. It's set aside. It's holy bread. And he says, that's all the bread I got. And David said, man, I, I really need some bread. He goes, have you and your men abstained from touching a woman? David lies. He gives him five loaves of consecrated bread. David puts that bread in the sack. He's heading out. He turns around and goes, hey, by the way, any chance you've got a weapon here? This sort of story really gets interesting. Because I was left in such a hurry, I didn't get to take a weapon. He goes, you know, by the way, we do. Back in the closet, we got a weapon. You remember that giant you killed named Goliath? We got his sword stuck back in the closet back there. David said, I'll take it. Now, you got to see this. Sack of bread in one hand. Sword of a giant in the other. Dragging it, Right? And where do you go? Well, David, again, desperate times, make for bad decisions, makes the second of his bad decisions. He decides to go to his enemies because the man he loved like a father is trying to kill him. So he goes to the Philistines. Now, that's a bad choice. Could it get worse? Yes. If you're going to go 
to the Philistines, the last place you want to go is where their hero lived, a guy named Goliath. David chooses the hometown of Goliath to hide out in. So here he is, bag of bread, giant sword, dragging on the ground, walking toward Goliath's hometown. And it didn't take long for people to be going, what's going on here, dude? You killed our hero. They sing songs about you. You killed tens of thousands while Saul only killed thousands. You're going to be next king of Israel. People got uncomfortable. That gets word to the king. David realizes he's made a horrible, horrible mistake. What do you do? He decides to fake his own sanity. So he goes outside the city, right? He gets a pen and he starts scribbling on the gates and the walls around the city, incoherent gibberish. Just writing. He has a beard. He begins to just spit in his beard and let it run down. They come back and they go, looks like David's lost his mind. He's out scribbling on the gate, spitting in his beard. And the king says this. He said, I have enough crazy men in my own town. Please don't bring me any more. Yeah, everybody can understand that, right? Uh, and so he, he sends David away. And David runs and finds himself refuge in a cave. A cave called a doodlem. And it's there that he sat down, took pen in hand at the worst and hardest moment of his life and wrote a psalm that begins like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make boast in the Lord. What? What? How, how, how did he get to that place? Well, there's some lessons we want to walk out of this with. Here's your first one. Our first one. Some of the sweetest truths come out of some of the hardest times. Um, put yourself in David's shoes for just a minute. David was a shepherd. Always would be a shepherd. He loved sheep. He loved being out uh, on the hillside with them. Life was good when he was a shepherd at home. He loved that life. And then Samuel shows up and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He didn't choose that. It chose him. And David wasn't looking for it, but sometimes the promises of God come to people who aren't looking. And then there were those years of fatness where he lived in the palace and had his own room and great food and wonderful people, not a worry in the world, but then jealousy and betrayal and murder creep into the story. And now he's running for his life and his friends are being slaughtered. And you wonder if David didn't sit down in the mouth of that cave and, and, and wish he was still a shepherd. I, w I wish I'd never, never been anointed king. I'd love to just be sitting on a hill again. And such are the ways of God. The ways of God are fraught with unfairness. If you came to Jesus looking for fairness, you're not going to get it in this life. The ways of Jesus are, cre are, are fraught with crisis and isolation and doubt on the way to maturity. And David learned what we all learned, that some of the best times with God come from some of the hardest times of life. And for David to have a clear vision of what life was really about, he had to spend some time in the cave. So watch this. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. David learned that life was not about the palace, nor was it about the pain. And we get stuck in both places. Right? It's not just the palace, that we get stuck in, it's the pain, right? And we get, we get in one of those two places and we think, this is it. 
And David learned in the cave of Adullam that life was about neither, that life was about a relationship with God. That's how he can write that at the beginning. My soul boasts in God, regardless of what's happening around me, that I was created to know God. Number two, thankfulness is born in the womb of want. Um, rare is the individual who has much in this life or all of his life that rarely knows what it's like to be thankful. For the majority of us, we learn thankfulness in the womb of want. So let's go back to this summer. In the average summer in Oklahoma City, there are nine days over 100 degrees. This year, there were 17. And what was everybody saying? I can't wait for cold weather winter. Want some cold weather. Cold weather's coming. It's going to snow. It may ice. And when that all happens and then wind blows, then people are going to be saying, I can't wait for summer. Right. Summer makes us long for winter. Winter makes us long for summer. Difficult times make us value good times. Hard times make us value easier times. So right now in your life, What are you learning to value more than ever? And I hope that makes sense to you, is that where you are, the season of your life, what is it that God is saying, I want you to learn to value this. I want this to have more meaning to you. I want you to see this. You ever had a job you hated? I mean, you just hated Are you grateful for the job you have now? God moved you to a place, man. And and it's just, it's just, it's great to be. Are you grateful? You lose your health and then you get healthy. Are you grateful for your health? Do you take the time to thank God for your health? I've been pastoring since 1990. And the uh, first church I pastored had a parsonage, right? A parsonage is, is a, a church's curse on a pastor is what it is. Uh, you get no equity. You, get, you, you, you have nothing you're putting your money into. And then they can look at you and go, well, we're giving you a house. We don't have to pay you hardly anything. Um, it, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible setup for a long-range plan for a pastor. Um, and so I know what it's like to be without Uh, We were doing the Dave Ramsey financial peace thing, right? We had our envelope system and three kids. And we were putting money for gas and food and everything else in the envelope. And I've been at the grocery store multiple occasions when we put food back on the shelf because we couldn't afford it. Multiple occasions. Right? I've lived it. You know, his goal was you need a $1,000 emergency cash. If I had $1,000, I'd have been a rich man. There's no way we could have had $1,000. Times when a car breaking down cripples you. Or a doctor's bill. And you don't know how you're going to make it. And, and man, I'm sitting here and I'm telling you this. And there's a lot of you guys and you're shaking your head. That I understand what that's like. I've been there. I've known that. Are you grateful for where you are now? You look at life and go, I came from such a small place. And look at all that God has given me. We don't appreciate peace as, as much until we have dealt with great conflict. Relationships and love are taken for granted until we lose somebody we love. And then we're so much more grateful for every relationship. 
Third truth, I am grateful for what God has done in my life. Verses 4 through 7, David outlines four things that God specifically did in his life. Private and personal things. We're going to look at them. Maybe they parallel our lives. Just remember, these four insights came out of the most difficult time in David's life. Times when he walked through tears and crisis. Things that David learned about God when there was nowhere to turn but God. First one, I'm grateful God hears me. Uh, Verse 4, David had gotten so low he faked his own insanity. He had been at the point of salvation or starvation. He was living in a cave. How many times do you think he prayed? How many times do you think he cried out, God help me, God do something? God save me. Hundreds? Thousands? Do you think he ever wondered? You still hear me, God? God, if you heard me, none of this would be happening. But by the time he pins Psalm 34, he's made a realization. He understands that God heard him. God heard how much he hurt. God heard what he needed. There was nothing that David cried out for that God did not hear. And David was thankful that God was not far away, but was near and heard him. And I need you to understand, no matter what you're going through today, right? And you may have seasons when you wonder if God's here, hearing you. But no matter what you're going through, God hears you today. Number two, I'm grateful that God is bigger than what I fear, verse four. Uh, So what are you afraid of? You, You afraid of rejection, pain, loss? Are you afraid of loneliness? You afraid to die? You know, it's hard for us to imagine a man like David being afraid, but he was. So, so get this. He killed giants. He killed giants. But when he writes this, he's writing about things he's afraid of. I'm afraid of hunger. I'm afraid of loneliness. I'm afraid of dying. Here's what David learned. David realized that God had already delivered him from his fears. God would deliver him from King Saul. He had already delivered him from his fear of hunger. For his fear of loneliness, God would send him a ragtag bunch of guys that would become known as David's mighty men. See, part of becoming a person of of faith is realizing that God is bigger than any fear I live with. Number three, I'm grateful God has provided for me. David says this poor man, this poor man, me, Cried out to God. You ever seen yourself like that? You ever seen yourself as an orphan? Living on the street, nobody cares, and God comes to your life and picks you up, wraps his arms around you, and supplies your needs. That'll make you grateful. It did David. And God does not always supply what we want. We're that generation who thinks he should. That if he hasn't given us what we want, somehow he has failed us. Sometimes he gives you stale bread. Sometimes it's stale bread. But he always provides. Verse 7, I am thankful that God protected me. How does a 20-year-old kid fight a king in a nation? How does he survive? And it hit him. I'm where I'm at even though it's a cave because God put me here. I have food because God gave it to me. His eyes began to clear. 
He saw the protection of God all around him. There was a hedge indeed around David. So I don't know what's on your list of things this year that you're grateful for. Maybe there are things like David. Maybe God heard you this year or you realized he provided for you or protected you. But having the eyes to see what God has provided will make you grateful. Last point. My pleasure and my satisfaction are found only in God. Gratitude and satisfaction are inseparable partners. In all of life, you will never meet a satisfied person who is not also a grateful person. Right? And, and satisfaction has nothing to do with how much you and I have. It has everything to do with how grateful we are for what we already have. So watch this. If you are on that train that says, if I just had one more thing, I'd be happy. One more possession, nicer house, bigger car, whatever it is. That train never ends. Right, you're sitting there at the, at the crossing and you're looking down there going, and when this thing ends, it never ends. There will always be one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. That's how we become enslaved. Right? It's not getting something else that brings satisfaction. It's looking at what you got right now, even if you're in a cave with five loaves of stale bread and going, it's enough. It's enough. Watch this. He's not the only guy who understood that. This guy named Paul. In the New Testament wrote, I have learned to be content with much or with little. David got it. I don't have to be in the palace to be happy. I can be content sitting in this cave because I have God. And today, if you struggle to be satisfied, if you find yourself looking what others have with envy of their lifestyle, if you find that you are getting cynical about life, rather than try to get more, look at life differently and be grateful for what you already have. And slowly you'll find that when satisfaction comes to your life, so will gratitude. So I want you to close your Bibles and look right up here at me. We're, gonna, we're getting really close to being done. It's almost cookie time. <laughs> so close your Bibles and look up here at me. You got the cookie when you came in the door, right? Go ahead and eat your cookie or take a bite of your cookie. Yeah, that's what we do. It's what we gave them to you for. Grab it and indulge. You guys are kind of lively. Hear a little bit of, of noise. Wednesday night we got a collective mm, when they got to eat their uh, eat their cookies. So go ahead and enjoy that. That you probably haven't ever had one of those. That's called a crumble cookie. Uh, the closest place you can get them is in Moore to us, and they were really good to us. And those are really good cookies. Really, really good cookies. So here here's lesson just keep enjoying your cookie taste and see that it is good right it was free right we had people all over the building want a cookie take a cookie please take a cookie please take a cookie and and here's the crazy thing some people go oh I'll not have a cookie (laughs) who doesn't want a cookie and that that's kind of like salvation it's free I'm not interested. Who wouldn't be interested in a gift God wants to give you? But you have that choice, right? Right? You don't have to take a cookie. Well, you don't have to take Jesus. You get that choice. But there may be that moment when you go, like right now, wish I'd have got one of them cookies. Maybe you're looking at your life and going, I sure wish I had taken that gift God offered me. And if that's you, this is your moment. 
This is your chance. This is your opportunity to say yes to the gift God wants to give you. Now, hang on, because this just keeps going, right? Because people are funny. Some people got that cookie, wrapped it up in their napkin, put it in their purse or in their pocket, and they're saving it. <laughs> right? And look, the crazy thing about this is that I see you guys. And so y'all are looking at each other going, mm -hmm, right? Right? Taking my cookie home. Do you realize how many people do that with Jesus? That they are content to possess him but not pursue him. Why? I'm going to heaven. What else do I need? How about taste and see that he is good? Right? As crazy as it would be to take that cookie and go, I'm never going to eat you. I'm only going to carry you everywhere I go. And people would go, dude, it's got a problem. People do it with Jesus all the time. I really don't want to know you. I just want to have you in my pocket all the time. And here's what David is saying. Taste and see that if you think that cookie was good, try Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know what brought you here today or what you may be going through. You may be in a, in a valley and maybe God's trying to speak to you to learn to value something uh, as you journey through that value or through that valley. Um, may, maybe God brought you here today. Maybe you do possess him, but you do not pursue him. And he would plead with you today that taste and see that he is good. Give him the chance. Give him the chance to prove himself good to you. Taste and see. Our ministers are here at the front today, and uh, we're here to, to help you respond if God has so moved you. If you want prayer, we're here. If you want to be introduced to Jesus, we'd love to have that opportunity. If you're looking to plant your life at a church, then this is your moment to step out. We want you to be obedient to God, to whatever he said to you today. Father, thank you so much for our time. And God, I pray, I pray that your, your voice would be unmistakable, God. We'd walk out differently than we came in. That we'd have freedom to respond to you, God. The freedom to do what you want us to do in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.